Hello again, and welcome to another fine edition of a segment of interviewing where I talk to a guy that is a movie expert and legitimately, professionally writes about movies. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the line, his name is Mike Reyes. He's from CinemaBlend.com, and he has an amazing head of hair. Oh, thank you for that. You pull off the wild, yeah, I, crazy I, look really well. I've no, I've been noticing that as of late, especially after the trip and all the photos. <laughs> you go from very dapper, like well put together, to that guy is building a time machine in his basement haircut. Oh yeah, very, very Doc Brown style. <laughs> like that's kind of like that. That's almost immediately the first version I think of when it's like, what do I, what does my hair look like sometimes? And that's definitely it. Like sometimes if I get it going just right, yeah, it's like the wild-eyed scientist where you know. Did uh, I tell you what I did for the first time in about four or five years uh, this week? No, you didn't. And with that sort of time period, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of eager to hear hear what happens. I got a real haircut. Oh, well, congratulations. I uh, I don't know if I'm going through a midlife crisis or whatever, but uh, for the last like four or five years, I've been doing the shaved head beard look, and I, I can do that at home. That's not hard at all. Long story short, I was like, I'm going to let it grow and see where this goes. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I went and got a haircut. And you want to believe the compliments I've got from people in like a very short amount of time. It's weird, and not one of them has been my wife. Ooh, but think of how many times you probably haven't noticed her hair. I notice her hair because she dyes it. Probably even that. Oh, she goes. She likes a very. She likes a very dark look to it. So. Well, there you have it, folks. Sorry, I got an email, and I was. No, sorry, I I I didn't mean to uh, get sidetracked. I just saw an email come up, and I was like, hmm, how big of a storm is this going to (laughs) be? That's okay. I was drinking orange juice, so like we both had our we both we, we both, both got sidetracked at the right second. Early. Anyways, uh, Mike Ray from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me uh, this week. Uh, there's going to be some time travel. Uh, John Wick Four is the uh, uh, big movie out this week, and uh, we're recording uh, middle of the day on Thursday. I believe you're going to see it tonight, correct? Yep, because I had to miss my preview screening due to, uh, you know, a little thing called Disney World. Yeah, 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 I get you. So if you're here for the John Wick 4 stuff, we will put that at the very end of this, um, and it will be fine and everything will be cool, and you'll get your review of John Wick 4. Meanwhile, as they say, uh, we'll cut over to the world of movie news and stuff. I kind of like starting with the uh, Cameron Diaz and... Jamie Foxx stuff first, right? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. That's an interesting story on a couple levels. And before we get into any of them, this is all speculation from, like, the Daily Mail and other sources like that, so we don't really know what's going on here. Do you want to tell the story, or do you want me to? What story do you want to start with? There's a couple. Yeah, okay. Why don't you start out? Okay. I I, I like hearing you start out. We'll we'll go back and forth with this. So, long story short, and anytime anybody says long story short, it's never short. (laughs) But oh no, Cameron Diaz was talked back into coming to acting by Jamie Foxx was one part of the story. Earlier this week, there was a story that Jamie Foxx had a meltdown on stage at this at this production. And I think it's a what is it again that they're doing? It's a movie called Back in Action. And I don't think I know too much about the actual movie itself. But if I'm not mistaken, they're fil- yeah, they're filming in London. You know, there was a big announcement that I uh, I think it's a, yeah, it's a Netflix movie. And there was, of course, a big announcement where it looked like a text chain between Jamie Foxx and Cameron Diaz. And he, like, talked her out of retirement because she had stopped acting and, you know, wanted to be a mom to her son. And, she has a son. Yeah, but she, uh, wanted to, she, wanted, she wanted to do she wanted family, family time. Life, and no yeah. one could blame her. 
And they said that yeah. she loves doing this. So anyways, fast forward, Jamie Foxx has a meltdown about something. I don't, I've never heard what it was actually about. He just had a meltdown on stage. No, I didn't. He- I did not hear that. That's oh, what- I'm sorry. J- Cameron Diaz has a daughter. Okay, you're. I still- need to correct that because the name- because I see the name Radix, and I that almost sounds like an a mid aughts boy's name. But I I must correct myself. That is her daughter. Radix. Mm-hmm. That's the that's Goku's brother from Dragon Ball Z. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> the levels of the story keep expanding. So. Yeah, that's where I saw it, that it was Jamie Foxx had a meltdown, which he yelled at some people, and then Cameron Diaz was like, you know what, I don't really want to do this. I would rather just go home. Well, I heard that she, yeah, I heard she really didn't want to, I heard she was just missing being with her family, and that's what's really putting her through the paces in like 10-hour shoots and all that. Um, one of the, uh, Yahoo had one of the articles about this and the headline, uh, written by Sophie Hansen, Cameron Diaz reportedly quit acting again after her co-star Jamie Foxx had an alleged meltdown on set. So there's a couple versions of this floating around. Yeah. Again, (laughs) this is a lot of allegedly's and reportedly's and a lot of different sources saying different things. You know, what's interesting about this? and And I don't mean this in a bad way at all. I didn't know that Cameron Diaz had stepped away. Like she did it in such a subtle way and didn't make a big deal out of it. Where you see some folks that are like I'm retiring oh, yeah. from acting and I'm never doing this again and this is my last production. They make a big event out of it. Like I don't remember her saying I just all of a sudden it was like, oh, Cameron Diaz isn't around anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, she really took the sort of, the graceful sort of, I'm doing me way out. And it really, it wasn't like a, like you said, a full court press and, you know, grand sweeping tributes. It was just, um, done. Bye. Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting, but that's been in the headlines. Uh, you know what? Let's uh, skip past this because neither one of us sounds like we know exactly what's going on. <laughs> Well, no one does, and there's also some sort of uh, allegations that there was someone that tried to con Jamie Foxx out like 55 grand. Oh, God. That's someone that they're saying, in, uh, the Toronto Sun is saying, this film has been a bit of a nightmare. A source had told them this. this. This film has been a bit of a nightmare. There have been a lot of delays, especially with the weather, thanks to filming outdoors in London in winter. But the latest issue was a bit more sinister. One staffer has been sacked, and there are investigations after someone tried to get access to $55,000 in cash from Jamie Foxx. Oh, boy. Jamie Foxx seems like the coolest dude on the planet. Like, if you were going to have a moment where aliens showed up and they're like, bring us your coolest dude, he would be one of the people I'd be like, you know what? I I might send Jamie Foxx. He'd definitely be on the list. He's a good interview. He's a lot of fun. And, and uh, two for two, both times that I've interviewed him, he t- he's uh, remarked about how I look like Joaquin Phoenix to him. That's awesome. So that essentially means you're walking Phoenix. (laughs) At least he remembers. You got to go that way. So Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com. Oh, he did because, yeah. Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com joining me on the line to talk about movies and such as we make our way down the line. Uh, Not really a movie story, but it is a entertainment story because of of how it kind of whole played out. For those of you that are uh, fans of Rick and Morty, it came out this week that Justin Rowland, uh, is that how you say his name? Royland? Roland? I think so. I think it's Royland. Uh, one of the creators of Rick and Morty voices Rick and Morty, I believe. He had the whole domestic violence stuff. Basically, the case was dropped due to lack of sufficient evidence based on a reliable, uh, be- beyond a reliable doubt, is what the Orange County District Attorney said. And he put out a uh, message saying justice, and then he had a whole thing about, you know, the whole deal. So I didn't think it would go this way, did you? I honestly didn't know 
what to expect from any of this just because it's, I mean, I, I would have expected that there would have been a little more, some more procedure to it. But again, as, as you have just mentioned, uh, there, the, the case has been dismissed due to lack of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. And, you know, you've got Justin Roiland now reacting to this saying, oh, well, I'm looking forward to clearing my good name. And, you know, oh, oh, oh who would have known what would have happened if this went through? And uh, did this guy get wrongfully destroyed in this whole thing? Because let's face it, he's never going to recover from this. I don't know. Okay. I honestly don't know. And I honestly don't know if he'll ever truly be devastated by it because who knows what projects he'll start announcing within the next year or so. I mean, look at what happened to Kevin Spacey and he's gone through lawsuit after lawsuit and won several different lawsuits that did go to trial and he's back to acting. Yeah. I mean, Louis C.K. is still doing stand-up. There is now the question of, okay, so when someone gets canceled and their career is ruined, how long is that ruin going to last for? Yeah. It's one of those, like, you you look at, like, a Hulu or, you know, uh, who did uh, Rick and Morty, uh, Cartoon Network? Adult Swim. Adult Swim, I'm sorry. You know, where in that moment you kind of got to pull the plug, but do you bring him back now, or is it... Oh, I doubt that'll happen. I doubt that will happen, because even if this case didn't go to trial, there's still plenty of other stories about him. Yeah. No, from what I understand, there's plenty of other stories of misconduct and other things that weren't didn't exactly go to trial. Yeah. But there's still bad behavior that has been alleged and reported in the news. So you look at a major corporation like that, they're probably thinking, okay, we're still going to, until there's like an all clear, if there ever is an all clear, we're going to keep our distance because we would like to keep our viewers. Mike Rash from CinemaBlend.com joining me on the line. Uh, Let's talk about some happy stuff. How about that? Yeah, happy stuff is good. Let's do that. Uh, Mission Impossible 18. I'm just a simple movie reviewer. (laughs) <laughs> unfrozen from a world of bright lights and flash bulbs and <laughs> your kinetoscopes arouse and yet scare me at the same time i uh, saw a movie the other night called shazam <laughs> I, did, I didn't see shazam but I, that was just the first movie that came to mind uh speaking How of those sh- kids become grown so quickly i you know what i was gonna say let's do the shazam thing but that's even kind of bad news and kind of weird territory let's go to your mission impossible 18 thing uh, they're bringing back somebody else Perhaps. from the original movie? Yes, in Mission Impossible 8, not, not 18. Oh, okay. My bad. We would be lucky if we get 18, but that would probably be one of the reasons why this may be Tom Cruise's last Mission Impossible run with these last two movies. But anyway, it was Christopher McQuarrie, the writer and director of, the co-writer director of the last couple of Mission Impossibles since uh, Rogue Nation, has been dropping surprises with his casting. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Ted Lasso's Hannah Waddingham was uh, announced as being part of the cast. He loves to do these sorts of things with like a nice photograph on his Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. When Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 was filming, he revealed that Henry Cherney was uh, coming back as Eugene Kittredge, which is a big enough deal in and of itself. And then yesterday, he revealed that uh, actor Rolf Saxon is coming back for Mission Impossible, I'm assuming Mission Impossible 8, unless this is a photo from when they were shooting Part 1. I mean, that's kind of mysterious, but you may not know the man by name, but if you remember 1996's Mission Impossible, he 
was the poor CIA analyst that was puking <laughs> his brains out while Tom Cruise was stealing the knock list. Yeah, I, it took me a minute. Once I saw him, I'm like, that dude? Yeah, and I'm glad that more people have been reporting on it because it, it kind of feeds into a theory of mine that Christopher McQuarrie is kind of trying to tie up, the, tie the whole legacy together. Because like Mission Impossible 1 through 3 were kind of, and they were like anthologies. It was like different mission, different this, different that. It wasn't until Ghost Protocol that really started to tie things in together. Characters were coming back besides Ving Rhames. And then a bigger story started to form. So now CIA analyst William Donlow, who we last heard was being shipped off to man a radar tower in Alaska, is coming back. It looks like he's still at that radio tower. Oh, no. And I have a theory that he is either going to help or going to screw Ethan Hunt because of the fact that he's tied to Kittredge, who looks like he is a villain now. And, of course, there's my whole theory that this whole series has been one big secret battle between Ethan Hunt and some shadowy characters who used to be part of the intelligence community. That's interesting. Well, we'll have to see what happens with it. So when's that supposed to come out? Dead Reckoning Part 1 will be out July 14th, and then next June will be Dead Reckoning Part 2. Okay, cool. Mike Reyes from CinemaBelin.com on the line. Let's do Mandalorian real quick. How about that? Sure. Yeah, we can we can uh, trade off some good news. Uh, well, it is good news, kind of, from the world of Mandalorian. It actually is. So Mike hasn't been keeping up on the the series. Uh, my wife and I have been watching it. My wife this week's episode at one point she had the best light ever because they were talking about the planet they were on and there were just all these monsters and she goes, "It's like the Australia of space." <laughs> I was like, "That's really funny." So. Yep. But um, and there might there's a mild spoiler here. You're okay hearing it, right? Yeah, because I believe I've already heard it. Okay. Anyway. So the dude that uh, played Jar Jar Binks just had a horrible oh, time does. after the Phantom Menace and all that, and I believe he uh, thought about suicide and like it was it was very bad for him, right? Well, yeah, because the reaction, that, yeah, the reaction the Jar Jar Binks character was just. <laughs> horrific and he was one of the two people that really got screwed up with Phantom Menace the other was Jake Lloyd who played young Anakin yeah. he um, had he had his issues too but uh, unbelievably he got the best redemption in this week's episode of Mandalorian and if you haven't watched it yet you may want to tune away for a second he saves Grogu in such a badass way they had done flashbacks of and you never got Grogu's full story but you got uh some of the attack on the Jedi temple when Order 66 was given, but they never showed who actually saved Grogu, the baby Yoda. Door opens, it's that dude, and he is a badass Jedi. He picks up just another lightsaber and goes to work, and it is awesome. Oh. Uh, I believe his name is Ahmed Bass. Best? Excuse me. Ahmed Bass, yeah. Yep, there it is. Uh, and it is such a cool redemption, and I feel so good for him. Yeah, I mean, he also got to have a little bit, he's had slight redemptions over the years, especially because he was hosting, they had like a kid's Star Wars game show at one point, and he was hosting that. And it was, again, it was just really sad to hear those stories about how hard people yeah. cracked on him for a character that he didn't write, that he played to the best of his ability. And, you know, even if they just rewrote that character, you can see how he he would have been able to to handle he would have been able to bring more depth to Jar Jar if Jar Jar had any depth to begin with. So the, it wasn't really his fault, and it is nice to see him sort of come back to the Lucasfilm fold and get these nods and moments where it really redeems him. It doesn't really so much redeem him; it just it sort of vindicates him. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, man. This is like if you were going to come back and have a character that everybody's going to love, who's not going to love the dude that saves Baby Yoda? You know. 
Yeah, that almost feels like the that almost feels like the two poles of like Star Wars characters. Like you put Jar Jar Binks at the bottom of the pool, and then you put this Jedi over towards the top. I actually, and just random thought about while we're on Mandalorian, I saw a thing on TikTok the other day, and I don't know how true it is or whatever, but it was a very interesting theory about the Force and Anakin and actually Grogu. Oh, so the theory kind of goes, and I'm and I'm doing this off the top of my head. It was Anakin and Grogu are about the same age. And we know that Anakin was born through a manipulation of the Force on the dark side, right? Yeah, although I think they've tried to decanonize that. Yeah, well, anyways, the theory goes, because the Force has to have balance, it had to make a child of light. And they're wondering if that's Grogu. So, you know what I was, uh, another thought I had about the Mandalorian last night when they were doing it was because the Mandalorians and the Jedi, according to the, uh, like the Clone Wars stuff, or not the Clone Wars, Rebels, like you get a lot of their history there on the animated show. I wonder how people are going to feel when they find out Grogu was trained by a Jedi at one point. And he was trained by Anakin Skywalker. No, Luke. Well, that that and Luke Skywalker. sorry, Luke. Sorry, Luke. So I don't know. It kind of, I, I had that thought Luke last night. I'm like, oh, is this gonna like he's gonna get involved? Like everyone's gonna start liking him, and they're gonna go, "You trained with a Jedi? The f- man? You're a narc." Exactly. So, anyways, interesting stuff. Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com on the line. All right, now we have to go over to uh, Star Trek real quick, and I I'm gonna completely geek out on this week's episode. Uh, Mike is just kind of along for the ride at this point. But it's a wonderful ride based on how you started this journey. So it's off the air. So I I am more than happy to take this ride again. I have not seen the full episode, but I've seen a bunch of the. After I saw, I stumbled across one this morning. I started watching everything I could uh, because I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" So this week on the episode of Star Trek, uh, they're starting to uh, Star Trek Picard. They're starting to like pull some of the strings together on what's going on this season. As I told uh, said last season or uh, last week. They had it was they had an episode where it was kind of like going from one story to the, like one half of the story to the second half of the story is what it felt like and that's kind of where you're at but so spoilers on this okay if anybody doesn't hasn't watched it yet yeah. bail out now because I'm I'm going full force into this first off they go to the Federation uh, sh- uh like antique shipyard I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head but um you get to see hero ships from just about every version of Star Trek there is in this. I told Mike this earlier, when Picard is done like ships of the past, they do it as a ship from the past. It's not like in Strange New Worlds where they, hey, here's your improved version of the Constitution class, you know, or something like that, right? So this first shot, uh, the first uh, one they see, and there's a a couple other things we need to talk about, but uh, the first one they show, and directly show. It's not like it's just in the background as an Easter egg or something. They directly show all these. They showed the USS Defiant from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They showed uh, an older Constitution class, which um, was the original Constitution class, not the Strange New Worlds version of it. They show Kirk's Enterprise, NCC 1701A, or as they said it in the movie, NCC 1701 Alpha. But they showed it. Like, not just in the background, they showed it in, they were like, oh, the old Constitution, I love the retro lines and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it was such a, it was like, oh my God, they showed it. That's just really cool. (laughs) It is. Then they showed- I like uh, when someone actually takes the time to populate a frame, not just 
hide something in the background, like you said, with like the Millennium Falcon or and like Phantom Menace or something, but actually populate a frame with easy to see, easy to notice. You do not have to pause or blink to confirm like Easter eggs and nods and uh, stuff like that, like spaceships, especially, especially in something like Star Trek, because there's another ship that you mentioned that I was totally surprised Starfleet would even want to commemorate. Yeah, which at first... Uh, and to set up this scene, it's there in orbit of this uh, this this ship museum, and it's Seven and Picard's son sitting there talking, looking at this stuff, and she keeps putting up different images, and he's naming them, right? Uh, then she pulls up Voyager, yeah. which that's the one he doesn't recognize, which is kind of funny, and she, she goes into a very heartfelt uh, story about Voyager, and then he says something, and she goes, man, you are your father's son. Uh, which is a neat scene. And then they show, and this is the one that everybody probably forgot about, from Star Trek Four, the HMS Bounty, the Klingon bird of prey that they stole from Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three, used in Star Trek Four. They uh, stole Christopher Lloyd's ship and used it as a time machine. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, yes. And with a good old-fashioned <laughs> slingshot maneuver, which is basically 90% of Star Trek time travel yeah. happens just fly fast enough around the sun, you'll be fine. But here's the thing. Like, at first you see this scene and you think, oh, it's complete fan service. They're just showing these ships to show them for some reason. And then they show that ship and you go, oh, that's what's going on, why they're showing all these. And then it all oh. kind of fits and makes sense. And I'm not going to go into that. But then uh, you find out, uh, because from the trailer, you knew Mor- Moriarty was going to be a part of this. You fi- oh, yeah. You finally find out that. You find out um, a few other things uh, in this episode. And uh, going back to the shipyard scene, I'm not sure where in it, it was, but in the background, and this one was a legitimate Easter egg in the background, but they had a refit NX-class starship in the background which the only time they'd ever shown it as that version in the world of Star Trek is in a flashback to a toy that a young Jean-Luc Picard was playing with as a kid. But in the background of this episode, oh there was a, a actual version of it. Now, I was telling Mike about this earlier, and this gets into some real Star Trek nerd stuff, but this is what the Enterprise, the NX-01 Jonathan Archer Star Trek Enterprise was supposed to become throughout the series. Like It was supposed to be turned into this, but the show got canceled before they did it. You're creating Easter eggs. You're creating beautiful, easily visible Easter eggs. And now you're dipping into canon that has not been resolved, and you're just trying to put a bow on things. And that almost feels like it fits so perfectly in the whole mission of what Picard has been trying to do over those three seasons, to sort of put a bow on Jean-Luc, as well as potentially the Next Generation crew. I'm really excited because one of the mysteries from the first season and a big problem that I had with the first season of Picard might actually get resolved this season. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that completely makes sense, but yeah, it's, it's going to lead, this is going to be an interesting episode. And I was watching uh, one guy's breakdown of this and I forget what his name is on YouTube, but he usually does a pretty good job with this stuff. (laughs) Uh, He got to watch the whole season before it came out. And as he was, he said that the next two episodes, as, as they wrap it up, he goes, should really be watched as one episode, like one two-hour episode instead of two one-hour episodes. Does that make sense? Yeah, so basically watch the next couple episodes like the movie versus parceled out into week TV, like yeah. weekly TV. Yeah, so anyways, it was just a really cool, and I haven't even watched the episode yet. That's what's crazy about it, but uh, 
I've stumbled across enough on YouTube to get the good idea and like the the stuff. The shipyard stuff is so cool. It really is. Seriously, just knowing that people pay attention to that sort of stuff while making it and then make it easy for us to catch it while watching. Just that's when you really know that fans are speaking to fans. Yeah. And it's it, like some of it is obviously fan service, but we've had this conversation before where if you do fan service right, it could be something really special. None of this seems like they yeah. just none of this seemed like they just crammed it in there just to have the Enterprise A in the background, you know? Yeah. So, very cool stuff. Good job out of the world of Star Trek this week. Uh, Mike Reyes uh, from Cinema Blend. Okay. I've got one more uh, thing about Star Trek I want to throw at you before we uh, move on to our time travel. Are you ready? I am ready. It's more Easter egg, and these are more like legitimate Easter eggs type thing. So, in this episode, they're at uh, a very top secret Star Trek or Starfleet base. Yeah. Do you know what some of the projects in the background are? Ooh, I don't. I mean, I'd love to guess the scimitar, but I don't think they'd want to reference into darkness. Uh, there is a Genesis 2 prototype. Um, what? No. Starfleet, we need to talk. Uh, that did not go right the first time. I would highly suggest not doing it again. You know what the other one is? What? We don't know what is it about or anything like that. All it says, it's like a medical like readout for a character. Mm-hmm. Would you like Uh-oh. to know what character? I need to know at this point. James T. Kirk. What the f***? <laughs> what the f- ever-loving f***? It's like a, just like a thing in the background, and it's, uh, I saw a clearer picture of it earlier, but it's, it's legitimately and James T. Kirk in big letters, and it's like a, uh, like if you took an X-ray, like a futuristic X-ray of someone's insides. Yeah. And it's got like stats and all that. So I don't know if he's alive, dead, or what have you, but um, yeah, that's a thing. And not to mention, is this going to be like Shatner's Kirk, or is it going to be the Kirk played by the new guy from Strange New World? Who the f- knows at this point, man? <laughs> like, how are we gonna how are we gonna screw the timeline? Oh, oh, man. Uh, yeah, exactly. This is, uh, this episode has so this many, exciting. yeah, it, dude, watch the f-ing show. Okay. Now that I've renewed my Paramount, I can, uh, you say that every week, but you have yet to start. Yes. Because I have other things that I'm catching up on. Like I'm ca- finally watching all of Luther now after watching the movie, <laughs> but also I just got to this that I've been jumping into. I got to go see John Wick tonight. And by the way, why is nobody talking about poker face? I don't know. And I love how that first season wrapped up. We have not seen it yet. So People we'll, are talking about it. I more than ever want to see uh, what's uh, Daniel Craig's character in the Glass Onion universe. Oh, Benoit Blanc. I want to see Benoit Blanc and uh, uh, what's her name from Poker Face in a movie. Charlie Kale. Yes. Yeah, a Benoit Blanc, Charlie Kale crossover would be spectacular because they would get on each other's nerves. And it would be really funny because Benoit Blanc is a whodunit series where we don't know who did whatever and we're following the clues and everything poker face is a how catch em, like columbo where yeah. we know who did it and all the clues are there mixing those two together and watching those two contradict each other from those points of view and plus her calling out benoit blanc for bullshit is going to be something that's especially when he bu- tries to buy time with bullshit in the in the benoit blanc universe her calling him out for that trying to resist calling him out for that is going to be something that would be I would pay to watch that. I have no problem believing that. <laughs> so, 
Anyways, Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me right now. As we uh, do get ready to time travel, um, I think it's worth mentioning uh, before we do get to John Wick that there was a uh, uh, death that came out late last week that we didn't get a chance to talk about from the world of John Wick. Yeah, uh, Lance Reddick, who played uh, the role of Continental Concierge Charon, I believe. I'm I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, but uh, Lance Reddick, legendary character actor, just good guy all around, passed at the age of 60 due to, uh, it was reported as natural causes, and I think you had said that later on someone said it was a heart attack. I don't, no, I, that was my, and this is going to sound horrible, but that was my guess because I had seen some article where there was just like, it, it, it was real, like it was sudden. Oh, it was definitely, yeah. Where? Like it was just. I still, I remember sitting there in the the work chat, and then all of a sudden someone posts a link, and I look at it, it's like, what? No, no. Yeah, where are they? And there were so many of my friends that were talking about how. Oh, go on. Uh, it was just uh, long, Riddick, and this is from Wikipedia. Riddick died from natural causes at the age of sixty. That's why I was like, did he have a heart attack or something? Or I don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just it's speculation. So. Well, exactly. No, it's, I would rather someone say I don't know than guess a cause, and then it's it's wrong. Yeah. No, mine is complete right speculation. It just sixty seems so young for it natural does. causes. It really, honestly, does. And he, oh man, Lance Reddick was one of those people that was just amazing because he had always had such an air of authority. And I think a friend of my, a friend of mine had said when we were talking about the passing, he had one of the Hall of Fame. I'm going to f*** you up faces. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you look back on this man's resume and there's so many different things that he's in that you, you may not have been remembered. Like I totally forgot he was in The Guest, which oh, is one yeah. of my one of my favorites. And he was just fantastic in that. And, you know, he was also in the Destiny video games. Uh, he has a really hysterical short on the Eric Andre show as well as on funnierdie.com that he, he really showed his comedic abilities that most people may not have even pegged him for because, again, he really was good at just being the solemn voice of authority and, and straight up commanding. <sighs> but then you've got a shirtless Lance Reddick on the Eric Andre show doing a bit about LeVar Burton, shirtless, wearing the Geordie visor. <laughs> And then and, and a Starfleet badge and like the pan, his part of his costume from Root and I I highly recommend you and everyone that has not watched that go and watch that because it's just one of those moments where you you don't know where the line is and it's so wonderful. I forgot he was on Fringe. Yeah, big deal on Fringe. He was in the Resident Evil show that got canceled and he was fantastic with that. He's going to be in Disney Plus's Percy Jackson and the Olympians as Zeus, but. Obviously, they they'll probably they're gonna have to recast him after they get. Past, I think he's completed season one. Do you know he was in post production posthumous release? Do you know he was in three episodes of Tron Uprising? I thought I did. Cutler, uh, he was also the voice of I'm Alan Rails and, and Rick that. and Morty. He was on uh, Ducktales. Russell Goulden, but where's the Batman? See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The man has an episode of Always Sunny, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Blacklist, Key and Peele. Like, he has all these big... Th- he was in an American Horror Story episode. He was like the voodoo so. priest or something, right? I didn't watch that season, so I don't know. But the point is, Lance Reddick was just a massive, massive talent. I did have the honor of interviewing him once with Ian McShane when we did a uh, press for John Wick 3. And a lot of my friends were recounting about the fact that they got to talk to him for John Wick 4 and still couldn't believe that this guy 
full of life and, you know, full of wonder that sat in front of them for this is, is no longer with us. And that's, it, it's just a testament to his, his kindness in life as well as just the wealth of talent that he gave us. Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me right now um, as we uh, get ready to talk about John Wick 4 here. To Lance Riddick, we wish you nothing but the best in the great beyond. All right, we're going to try this for the third damn time. Uh, Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com is on the line with me right now. Uh, We've tried to record this a couple times, but for whatever reason, the computer I'm using to record today is deciding to uh, pause and just like, you know what, f*** it, it's the weekend. That's the attitude the computer has. So, uh, Mike, uh, how are you? (laughs) I'm fine, except for the fact that we are now on the third loop of time in this wonderful little experiment that we're trying to do called uh, a show. So, and the funny thing about it is, like, the first take we did was really good. It had some really cool, funny stuff in it, some good uh, comparisons and all that. The second one, you know, had some good stuff. And then uh, in be- the in-between conversations as I restarted the computer were pretty interesting. They went the realm of theater shows to uh, bad bachelor parties to things that have had happened on bachelor parties so but really when you think about it all three of those subjects kind of overlap yeah you're not wrong there so anyways uh let's get to uh john wick four uh you saw it last night what'd we think john what'd we think mike brain work well i don't know b socks i think i'm gonna ask my friend mike to review my movie oh thank you john that was very nice of you (laughs) that just you know humble guy humble uh I think it was great. I think it probably, there's a lot of people saying that it's the best John Wick out of the series. I think I'm going to fall in line with that. Really? Like it's the best of the the four. It is almost three hours of action, more plot, sharp character dialogue. Like this is, this seriously feels like everything that John Wick has become to be known for or has come to, I, I don't know if I'm even wording that correctly, but it feels like everything that John Wick has started to represent is just in full form in this thing. And it is almost three hours. There's apparently an almost four-hour cut that they had at one point that they're like, oh, it feels like almost four hours. And I'm sitting there thinking, I want to see that (laughs) because at almost three hours, this was, this is breathless. Like, seriously, there are, this movie is so confident in being a John Wick movie and is so confident in everything that it does to the needle drops, to the costumes, to the action sequences. There is not a lot of, I mean, there's some globe trotting in this movie, but the thing is, this movie stays in settings for extended periods of time and has really long action sequences. And I love that. <laughs> it's, not, it's a movie that isn't afraid to just stay in a moment or in a location and really just take its time and the body count rises because of that, and the action is even more exciting. The final act of this movie is something else. That's awesome. I really wanted to hear all that. I really did. <laughs> oh, dude, no, it is. this is so worth the time. And, like, even something as simple as, I, I wish there was more of Lawrence Fishburne's Bowery King in here. But, oh, man, when he's in this movie, the moments that he has are so <laughs> perfect. Like, everybody gets their handful of moments. Even even Bill Skarsgård as uh, Le, Grand, uh, Le Marquis de Grandmont, I believe his name is. Like, basically Marquis of the Big Death. Okay. The Great Death. And he's the guy that's, like, shaking things up in the underworld of John Wick. He's like, look, uh, high table, I am your solution to John. 
let me start cleaning stuff up here and I will take care of him once and for all. Interesting. And just, yeah, everybody gets one. It's just the thing that I love about the John Wick world is it's a world where underground world where wonderfully dressed people get to say these witty lines face off against each other. There's a code of ethics and rules, but then all hell breaks loose and it's just so much fun to watch. <laughs> Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me right now talking about John Wick 4. Um, so we like it. It's enjoyable, and everybody should go see it this weekend is what you're saying. Oh, yes. Total blast. It's almost three hours, but it's it's a fast almost three hours. I will, Again, I would love to see what this would have played like at, at almost four. We, we talked earlier in uh, the episode about whether or not it's going to be more John Wicks after this. Do you think there will be? I don't know. Okay. It's it, it. There's a possibility, but the way that the story leaves itself off, because the whole thing is, when John Wick Four was going into production, it was announced that four and five were going to be put into production together, and they were going to go back to back. Then the pandemic hit, and the story sort of changed. Where it's like, okay, well, we're going to split them off. We're going to well, first of all, they delayed the movies. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, we're going to we're going to split them off. You know, we're going to do four first. We'll see if there's room or even uh, a response for five. I think what may have happened is they consolidated the stories between four and five because maybe they had a two movie event planned and maybe in the interim, they sort of combined it together Okay. for one mega movie, which is, might be why it was almost three hours coming in with the first cut of almost four. All right. Like, that, that makes sense. They combined two movies together. Yeah. You, so they created an epic. So even if it's not like John Wick, I'd still like to see more movies in this universe. Well, we're going to get more movies in this universe, and we're also going to get, I think later this year, the Continental TV show starts. Yeah. And that... that's a prequel, and John might pop up here and there and that. And then we've got the ballerina spinoff coming where Keanu Reeves is in there. And I think that's also going to be one of the last performances of the late Lance Reddick. What, what's the ballerina? Uh, well, do you remember in John Wick 3 when Keanu Reeves goes to visit Angelica Houston and we learn more about like his backstory as a kid and they have like a, one of the fronts in the, the Criminal Underworld, yeah. like a, a ballet company, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the ballerina is going to be like another assassin-type character and that's uh, Anna de Animus is going to be playing her. Okay, that's interesting. I, I yeah. love the and world Keanu they've Reeves, caught up. Go ahead. Keanu Reeves is already confirmed to be in there as well. I just love the world of John Wick. Oh, me too. Especially those Continental Hotels. Like, I love I love a good hotel. I've always been a hotel aficionado. I mean, ever since family vacations as a kid and, you know, going through AAA guidebooks to see who has a pool and who doesn't. <laughs> like, I've always had a thing for hotels and the hospitality industry. And to see, like, this gorgeous beautiful building that I wish existed in New York. They were doing a full physical, like they were doing a pop-up experience at the Hard Rock Hotel for the Continental. Oh, really? And I wish I could have, it was last weekend and I wish I could have went. That's awesome. Yeah, like they were doing drinks and like, I think immersive uh, experiences like games and such. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I want that to come back. And then of course that just reminds me of when uh, Lionsgate was planning on doing some sort of amusement center in 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 Times Square like somewhere on like 42nd Street and then they canceled it and it really upset me because it's like wait a minute we could have had like a Mad Men lounge and we could have had like a John Wick Continental experience I just love the and we don't. 
Yeah, I just love the the uh, ideas in that of like the rules of that world. Like you do not conduct business on continental grounds. Yeah, yeah, no business, no killing anyone. It's just very cool. It's just a very cool world that uh, that they came up with this for this. So Mike Ranch from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me right now as uh, we wrap up this week. So go see John Wick 4, enjoy it, and prepare for three hours, right? Yeah, prepare for three hours of just awesome. Three hours of pure bone-crunching awesome. Uh, everything you want out of a John Wick movie is here. There's a beautiful dog. There's an amazing drone shot that impressed the hell out of me, and a lot of people are going to be talking about it because there's just, again, the third act of this thing, The they throw in a reference to it. You ever see The Warriors? Yeah. It's been a little while. They, but... throw, in a, they throw in a beautiful reference to The Warriors that kicks off the last stretch of action for this movie. And that is, if that isn't enough, there's that wonderful scene that you see where, like, he's taking out guys in Paris and – you know, cars are hitting people. He's shooting people. They're like somersaulting in the air. And then there, it, it seriously, once you get into the last act of this movie, it's just locked into awesome. Mike Rash from CinemaBlend.com joins me every week on the show to talk about movies. We'll leave it there. Mike, you have yourself a great weekend, okay? You too, man. Go see John Wick 4, people.